It was the early 1980s, and a very young Norby family, I was in my 20s, my wife was in her 20s, and we just had a couple little ones, uh, moved to Pella, Iowa uh, to start a job there. And I noticed that there was a landmark very close to Pella, Iowa that uh, had been in a movie. It was Red Rock Dam. Red Rock Dam is on the Des Moines River, and it was uh, part of a prop in a movie at that time on, uh, concerning end times, A Thief in the Night. And so I was fascinated to see this dam area up close because I had seen it in a movie. And uh, it's not like it's that great of an, it's just a little dam. It's not like that fantastic or anything. But at any rate, uh, I just thought we'd, I'd show you the picture of it. And the summary of the movie was something like this. It was about a young woman. Her name was Patty. And uh, she was caught up in living for the moment. And she finds this nice young man to get married. He's a, a serious follower of the Lord, but Patty's not very serious about that. And she awakens one morning to find that her husband is gone. And then on the radio, there's this announcement that millions of people have mysteriously disappeared. And the, the, the trailer of the movie goes on to say a dramatic, earth-shaking events begin to unfold um, as biblical prophecy is uh, becoming known to Patty. And this is an adventure, a suspense-building film to thought-provoking uh, climax and all that kind of thing, you know, reading the trailer a little bit there. At any rate, it was... Uh, a Thief in the Night, and it was about end times. When I cut my teeth on Christianity in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of teaching, a lot of emphasis on the return of Jesus, a lot of emphasis on uh, end times, prophecy. And I think it's a part of our faith that we really shouldn't neglect or forget, but I think we often do. In fact, I think that's going on a little bit right now uh, in the church. As I put this message together, I looked in my own notes. Uh, the last time that I uh, talked on anything to do in a significant way with the end of the age, the return of Jesus, it was, it was already back in 2015. Time just flies by. It was part of the James series. I talked on it for like three messages in a row and basically haven't talked on it since. And I thought, man, I talk on this all the time. And I realized, no, I don't. And uh, so today we're going to, once again, focus in a little bit on the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're on our last message in this series entitled, The Intentional Worshipper. And uh, today I hope you walk away expectant in Christ, that he's going to come back again. I pray that this begins to be in your mind and rattle your heart a little bit and you become preoccupied with this whole concept that Christ really is returning so that it changes the way you do life and you become intentional in your worship as you follow Jesus Christ. I think the Christian community goes back and forth uh, a bit. There's this ebb and flow on the emphasis uh, of end times and the return of Jesus. And I think right now we're in a little bit of a, 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 of a down you know, moment. We're just not talking about it as much. Now perhaps it's going on out there and I'm just not tuned in. Um, but boy, I tell you, in the 70s, it was talked about all the time, in the 80s, sort of. And then now it seems like we're more into, um, you know, uh, uh, how to do discipleship and how to do those kinds of things, which is not necessarily bad. But I just want us to, for a few moments today, zoom in on this critical, important topic of the return of Jesus. Listen to the words of 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to read to you, uh, beginning in chapter 4, verse 13, all the way through Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. Here, listen to what this says. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope 
For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, what are you supposed to do with this? Encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There's the title of the movie in the 70s. Well, people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they'll not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So here's our big thought today when it comes to this message on the return of Jesus. The follower of Jesus should be informed about and on the watch for the return of Jesus. So the follower of Jesus should be informed about and on the watch for the return of Jesus. Amen? Is that not clear in the scripture I just read to you? That's what, 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 what's supposed to work in us. We're supposed to be watchful and expectant of the Lord's return. Now, if you go over to the book of James, this whole idea is reinforced there in, in, in James' epistle. He's telling us there in James, like a farmer understands seasons, he understands the autumn and spring rains and, and, and the crop that lies ahead. So we too are to see and understand the seasons and the, uh, and the signs as a follower of Jesus about his return. We're supposed to be like a farmer who gets the seasons. We can't know precisely when Christ is coming back, but we're supposed to be informed about the signs of his return, amen? And that's supposed to be something that we use as mutual encouragement to one another so that we walk in the most holy faith that God has called us to walk in in this life. So what we're going to do this morning for a few moments is we're going to go to Matthew chapter 24, frequently called the Olivet Discourse. It's a great chapter that basically takes us from the time of Christ to the end of the age. And it gives us some critical signs and that kind of thing to be on the watch for. And I think two primary questions are addressed in this Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24. And I'm just going to give you those questions. When will it happen? And what will be the signs that is about to happen? When will it happen and what will be the signs that is about to happen? Let me begin by reading to you Matthew 24, verses 1 through 3. Now, Jesus is walking by the temple with his disciples, and he has already said to the disciples, someone greater has come than the temple. That would be me. I'm greater than the temple. So you got that backdrop? So now they're walking by the temple. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when the disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. And they're basically saying, wow, look at the grandeur of the temple and how beautiful it is and all that kind of thing. Do you see all these things? Jesus asks, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Man, there's some big leaps that just transpired here. So they're walking by this temple, and Jesus gives one of the most fantastic prophetic utterances in the Bible. 
And we don't even look at that and realize that he said, this temple you're looking at, it's going to be completely destroyed. Now, to the Jew, the temple was everything. It was their life. It was representative of their connection with God. It's where they thought they found God. It was everything to the Jew. And he's saying to his disciples, this temple that you think is so beautiful and valuable, it's going to be totally destroyed. Not one stone will be left on another. Did that happen? Yes. 80, 70. It was totally torn down. And the stones were actually thrown down the hill. Not one was left on another. It's an utter amazing fulfillment of prophecy. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And so the disciples, this gets their attention. And these guys who are usually pretty clueless, amen, don't even ask any questions. Ask some of the most Holy Spirit-driven questions of the whole New Testament. Well, when will that happen? Jesus didn't really talk about when would the temple be destroyed there because I'm pretty sure that was their context. He goes right into talking about history in general and leading all the way up to his return. And that's what Matthew 24 is, is, is basically getting us to. It's an amazing pair of questions here. When will this happen and what will be the signs? I don't think the disciples got how insightful these questions were. We should. <laughs> Amen? Because we're on this downside of all these things happening. So let's go back to Matthew 24 and, and read through verses 4 through 14 now. Listen to this scripture. Jesus answered. Now he's answering these two questions of when and what. Watch out that no one deceives you. What? Because when the temple would be destroyed, what would happen to these guys? They think the end is there. Right? Don't we think that? Hey, a crop fails, the end is here. We have some terrorism acts against us, 9-11, the end is here. We're, we're, we're naturally self-centered people. And so he's saying, watch out that you don't read into things that you... Things you ought not to read into them. I mean, so you got to get part of that here when you read this, okay? He says, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. And some of you, mom, know very well what that means. Baby's on the way. Baby's not here yet. Baby's on the way. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I think the disciples, when they begin to ask Jesus about the when, we're talking about the temple. Would you agree with me on that? This is a little bit more than that. Would you agree with me on that? It includes the temple and the destruction of the temple and all that, but way more than that. Um, let's quickly list some things that are going to precede the return of Jesus Christ. Let's just get some things established. Okay, you're with me on this? Let's get some things down that are going to happen before Christ returns. Many false Christs will appear. Already happening. It's been happening for a long time. His counsel to us, Jesus' counsel to us is don't be deceived. Don't let these ones scare you. Don't be deceived. Second, there will be many wars. Lots of rumors of wars. We got a lot of war going on all the time, don't we? 
Don't be alarmed, he says. Don't let that shake you up. That's not yet time for me to return, okay? He's just saying these things are going to happen. They're going to go on. But, but by their going on, we should have what? Some comfort knowing that Jesus said these things are going to go on. And there'll be famines and there'll be earthquakes. At one time, I was so fascinated by some of these signs. I, I studied some eschatology, the study of end times here. In fact, I probably went on about a 10-year adventure in my life studying this thing. And the more I studied it, the more confused I got. And the more unsure I got of some of the things, and the less I was willing to look at charts and, and all this stuff that people put together, delineating everything in this nice, perfectly line, linear way. Um, anyway, I'll talk on that in a moment. But Jesus said, when you see all these things, false Christ, wars, famines, and earthquakes, just understand that's the beginning of birth pains. Now, I understand that language. Do you? Because we have had six kids. And I went through all that birthing process with my wife, and I knew when she said, I'm having some birth pains, I knew what that meant. How about you guys? Some of you, a lot of you are in this phase of life a lot more than I am. That means a baby's on the way, right? Baby's going to show up now. It, it's, it's, it creates in you, and I don't know how it did for you guys, uh, it created anxiety in me. First of all, I'm always concerned about my, my wife. I really don't want to deliver that baby at home. Amen. I had an experience of delivering the one baby of ours with the nurse between the time she got to the hospital before she got to the delivery room. She threw me a smock and said, here, help. I go, what? And so this is back before that was cool, by the way. And uh, she said, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? I said, no way. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm undone. I've seen way more than I ever wanted to see. I just wanted to hold my wife's hand and tell her good, good job. I didn't want to see what was actually happening here, you know. At any rate, you get what I'm saying. It creates in you some anxiety because of those kinds of things. It creates in you expectation. It creates in you excitement because you, you, you get to see this little human being, and there's nothing quite like it. And what, what, what Jesus is saying here is when you see these things happening, false Christ, rumors of wars, wars, famines and earthquakes, the natural reaction is to be uh, one of despair and hopelessness. He said, don't do that. Instead, he says, to you who know me, understand, these are birth pains. These are indicators that I'm going to return. And instead of them causing you to lose hope and be despairing, it should create in you some excitement and some expectation, amen, that I'm going to come back just like I've promised. They're hard things, but in the life of the believer, they're to produce then something contrary than what's produced to most people, and that is an assurance that Jesus is going to return. Then, as the list goes on, we, we understand there's going to be increasing persecution, and that's going to lead to some opportunities uh, to witness. If you go over to Luke 21, it also talks on uh, the same subject matter here, only in the Gospel of Luke. And he notes in verse 12 of, uh, of Luke 21, Luke does, that the followers of Jesus will be persecuted, but this will bring opportunities to witness before those in authority and all others on the account of Jesus Christ. And then these words of comfort are given in, in Luke chapter 21. But make up your mind to not worry beforehand. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry how you're going to defend yourself. For I will give you your, your words to speak and the wisdom to share so that none of your adversaries will be able to resist you or contradict you. So sometimes when we talk about 
the end of the age and all the tribulations that Christians are going to go through and are going through right now and have been going through for 2,000 years, sometimes that can create in us somewhat anxiety. And Jesus says, hey, hey, yeah, that's going to be hard, but, but listen, take comfort. I'm going to be with you. I'll speak through you. The Holy Spirit will give you words to say that will be wisdom and will be just the right answer. So don't worry. I don't know about you. I tend to be a little bit of a worrier. I'm learning not to worry. But at any rate, I don't want any of you to go away from here this morning worried. What I want you to walk away from here is full of joy and the comfort of the return of Jesus Christ. And then it, the list goes on to say there's going to be martyrdom. The followers of Jesus are going to be hated. And uh, many will turn away uh, from the faith and betrayal will characterize such ones. This has been going on, is going on, will continue to go on until Christ comes back. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many if possible. And the love of most will grow cold because of the ever-increasing wickedness. And you can look at this list and go, wow, this is not a fun list. And it isn't. But God calls us to endure and stand fast in him. And he has given us the promise that he will never forsake us nor leave us, that his grace will be sufficient. And when I use the word grace ever in this setting, I always mean God's empowerment or enablement to do something that you cannot do on your own. Amen? It's not a synonym for forgiveness where we can just do any old thing and we overlook it. No, when you use biblical grace, it means God's empowerment to be an overcomer. And we have to stand fast and trust that God will grace us to be ones who can stand fast until the return of Jesus Christ. There's one last important sign listed here. I call it an important when sign. It's a timing sign. When the gospel of the kingdom of Christ is preached in the whole world, as a testimony to all nations, then we're told the end will come. That's an important win sign. Now, the problem with this sign is we can't quite nail down the what part of it. What does that mean? A lot of people have looked at this for a long time saying, what does it mean that all nations need to be preached to and hear the gospel of Christ before he comes back? How do we know when the what is fulfilled so the when happens. You getting what I'm saying there? It's still quite confusing. And for years there's been a big push in Christianity in world evangelism to reach what is called the 1040 window because they, there's this idea that this is the, the, kind of the last frontier of, of, of missions work and this rectangular window that's called the 1040 window includes places like China and Malaysia and Middle East and Northern Africa, it's the strongholds for, for, for world religions like Islam or uh, uh, Buddhism or Hinduism or, you know, communism and that kind of thing. And, and, and it's exciting to see all this missionary effort going into uh, this window up there. You can kind of see it, but at any rate. Um, but we know that when that happens, then the return of Christ is imminent. When, when the whole world, or whatever that means... When the gospel's preached, am I helping you here at all? Because it's not that clear. And that's my point. Um, it's a key sign, and it's a sign we ought to be watching, but it's one that's hard to figure out when it's going to be completed. And so China gets opened up, right, lately to the West more, and we find out it's way more Christian than we thought it was. We thought it was basically unevangelized until the last couple decades, Amen. And then we find out there's a lot of Christians over there. 
Millions and millions of Christians. So maybe some of this is happening way more than we are aware of. Amen? That's what I'm trying to point out here today. We don't know sometimes what we don't know. And so it's hard for us to determine these things. And I think I'm brought back to a, a, a basic of the Bible. It's still all by faith, brothers and sisters. We're still called to be people of faith. Just like the ancients were commended for faith. You and I, as we look for the seasons and try to be aware of what God is doing, we still, it all comes down to we got to live by faith and trust that God is in control, amen, and that these things are transpiring. And we may not even know how they're transpiring. We might not even have the witness, where we'll all to know what's even going on. And we just got to trust God that, that, you know, he's faithful to what he says and the return of Christ is on its way. Now, further down in Matthew, in verses 36 through 44, Matthew 24, Jesus informs us, as was done in 1 Thessalonians, that no one knows the exact day and hour of his return, not even the angels, but we're to keep watch. We're to know the signs of his returns. And he uses this analogy. I love this analogy. If a homeowner knew that his house was going to be broken into by a thief at a certain time of night, wouldn't he keep watch? Right, he'd keep watch. So we too, who know what's going on, who have been given this information by Christ, who have the Holy Spirit living within us, we ought to be aware and watching of what's going on here in terms in regards to the return of Christ. And, and my concern is, right now, is the church seems to have lost interest in this. That's my concern this morning. It's just the lack of interest. We're never supposed to get to that place. Amen? We're supposed to be watching and expecting, and looking at the seasons, and looking at the signs, and it's supposed to be filled, uh, building our faith, and we're supposed to be encouraging one another in this regard. But right now, what I see is just kind of disinterest in it, and that concerns me, because that's exactly what we're not supposed to do. I think one thing that happens unintentionally uh, when you get to the end-time studies, and you see all these charts and things laid out, is people begin to think they actually know what's going on. And they think, this has happened, then this has happened, then this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. And oftentimes, we don't really know what the fulfillment of some of the prophecy looks like. And that chart gives us an unintended, what I would call apathy. It's unintended because we think, well, it's not there yet because these 18 things haven't transpired yet. You see what I'm saying? But we may not even know what's going on. Just like we didn't know China was so Christianized, we don't even know what's going on. And we don't even know how to read some of world history that's going on right now. Do we? You guys haven't lived that long, but I remember when Gorbachev was called the Antichrist. Did any of you remember that? The Russian ruler from way back. Okay, that didn't work very well. Anyway, but you just got to watch out that you're reading these things rightly. And the idea here is for expectation and watchfulness uh, to be there. Like birth pains tell us that a baby's on the way, these signs that we see transpiring, just like Jesus said they would, which is amazing. They ought to be telling you and I that he's going to return, just like he said, and there should be an expectation. Now, here's the result of birth pains, and fulfillment of end times should intensify expectation of Christ's return. That's the, the purpose of these things in our lives. Um, now, I don't know if you know a lot about birthing. Some of you do. It begins with these initial birth pains, and there's some contractions. They're 20 minutes apart, 15 minutes apart. They're not so bad. But then you get to a part of the birth called transition, where mom is just, her body's going, now is the time, right? And the contractions are really rough. And that's when all that Lamaze class, 
training kicks in and all that breathing and hand-holding stuff's supposed to help. And uh, I supposed to help. <laughs> right, you know, some of you don't, maybe you don't do that anymore. Maybe you just tough it out. I don't know. My wife is tough. She just toughed every birth out and we did that stuff. And after the third birth, she said, quit breathing on me. I don't need it anymore. So I said, okay. And we would just, I just hold her hand and be there. And, but, but it would get really intense. And, and that's kind of where Matthew takes us now into what I call the transition time right before uh, birth, uh, uh, part of the process. So that's Matthew 24, verses 15 to 25. Listen to this. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetops go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to uh, get their cloak. How dreadful will it be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers? Pray that your flight will not take place and the winter on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear. And what will they do? They will perform great signs and wonders to deceive apostle, even the elect. See, I've told you ahead of time. We got to watch out, brothers and sisters, that we don't think something's validated by miraculous signs and wonders. Amen? Because false prophets and false Christ will do that. We have to stay laser focused on Jesus Christ. This sounds like great material for a scary movie, doesn't it? Because movies are made out of this stuff and they, they prick our imagination. Um, but the follower of God has to understand what we base our faith on. Our faith is based on the redemptive, resurrected Jesus Christ. Amen? And him alone and nothing else. A key sign here is this. I think you can see this is a key sign. At the end of the age, uh, there will be an abomination that causes desolation uh, seen standing in the holy place. Okay? We can say that that's evidently clearly stated here in Matthew 24. A key sign at the end of the age will be when the abomination that causes desolation is seen standing in a holy place. That's just a great phrase. Abomination that causes desolation just kind of rolls off your tongue, doesn't it? You guys aren't, yeah, all right. Not a, not a good moment to say that. But at any rate, so what in the world does Jesus mean by this? Let me give you an example of an abomination that causes desolation. Historically, there's an example of this. Between the um, New and Old Testaments, um, a vile person named um, Antiochus usurped the Syrian throne from his brother by trickery, and he invaded Egypt, and he plundered Israel in the process. Aided by uh, traitorous Jews, um, he erected a statue of Zeus in the temple at Jerusalem. And that was considered an abomination that caused a desolation. Now, let, 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 me, let me dive into this a little deeper for you, okay? If you look at world religions, especially ancient ones, uh, especially ones of Roman nature, or Greek nature, whatever, when you would go into their temple and you would get into their sacred place in their temple, there would usually be a statue erected of their God. You would get into the most sacred place and there would be their God, some kind of statue. Now, contrast that to our tradition and coming out of the, uh, the, the, the Jewish background in terms of faith, that, that the Bible is, okay? And God being revealed to the Israelites, all right? You would go into the temple and you'd get to the Holy of Holies. What would you find there? 
Was there a statue of God? You can say no. There's no statue of God. Why? Because no graven image can represent our God. Amen? He said, don't make graven images about me. Now, because he's not a God who's restrained to a temple. He's the God everywhere. He's the God over all peoples and all nations. He's the God of God and the Lord of lords. He's the only true God. Amen? And so when, when this abomination that caused the desolation transpired there in, in that time period between the Old and New Testaments, it was twofold in its wrongness. One was, first of all, Zeus is a false god. It should never have been erected in the temple. Secondly, and almost more importantly, is no graven image can it represent God. So anything in there is wrong, amen? God is not like a man. God cannot be represented by wood and stone, amen? And so this is the abomination that causes desolation. Example that I want you to think on for a moment. The Bible tells us what the abomination that causes desolation will look like that Jesus spoke about here in Matthew 24. If you go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and read verses 1 and 2, this kind of gives you an indication what this abomination that causes desolation will look like that Christ is referring to at the end of the age. Here, here we go. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord had already come. Some had said Christ has come and gone already. You know, that's happened multiple times, Right? We're not to be alarmed by that, he says. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. This is the Antichrist and his gang, all right? He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple. There it is. Proclaiming himself to be what? God. There it is. There's the abomination that causes desolation. It's when the Antichrist... The man of lawlessness, the one opposed to God, stands up and says, worship me. Amen? That'll be the sign that all is not well. Daniel spoke of the same event, by the way, in Daniel chapter 9. And Daniel chapter 9 is an interesting book. And I don't have time to dive into all this stuff in real detail with you, and I'd encourage you to read it, and you're going to read and go, what in the world does this mean? But that's okay. Begin to read some of this stuff and begin to ponder it for yourself. But in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's given a, a vision from God about history. And his history is long. And first of all, he's given this vision about how many years and time would be before Christ would be born. Before Christ would be, I should say, crucified. I should say that right. And that's an amazingly accurate, accurate prophecy. It's... Uh, Seven weeks plus 62 weeks equals 69 weeks, and a week represents its years. Uh, it all represents years, okay, just so you understand all that kind of thing. And uh, uh, to the year, basically from the time Jerusalem was going to be rebuilt until uh, the anointed one of God would be cut off, that would be Christ. It's right nailed down right, right to the year that Jesus basically was crucified at age 33. Now, if you're going to do the calculations and all that, I can't help it because I'm a math guy. If you're going to try to add it all up from the, the pronouncement of the rebuilding of the temple and follow the years all the way to the anointed one is cut off, make sure you use a Jewish calendar, 360 days. Because if you use our calendar, it's wrong. Okay? And that's for a lot of people when they do this. I, I first calculated it myself. I said, why isn't the numbers working out? Ah, because I'm using the wrong calendar year. I'm not using prophetic years. I'm using 
our calendar years are 365 and a quarter days, and you've got to use 360 days. So if you do some calculation, you want to work it out, it's an amazing fulfillment of prophecy again that Christ comes and he's cut off when he's about 33. I mean, okay, we, shouldn't, we should not be surprised by that kind of thing, should we? But then, it, then Daniel goes on and said, then there's going to be an indeterminate amount of, 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 of time. He doesn't tell us the time. Oftentimes prophecies are like that. Uh, 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 kind of the age of the Gentiles, the age of grace. It's church age. And then there's going to be one last week. <laughs> and that's when this man of lawlessness, this Antichrist, will show up. That, that's talked about here in Thessalonians, all right? And that's when the abomination that causes desolation is going to show up. And Daniel uses that language. So all this stuff, I just want to tell you, it all goes together, all right? It, um, I, I, again, we're not to be alarmed by it. We're to be aware of it. We're to be watching for it so we understand the seasons, amen? And we're to be expectant of Christ's return and watchful. Um, let's go now to the birth where we've gone through birthing pains, we've gone through some transition. Let's get to the birth. This is Matthew 24, verses 26 through 31. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east, is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there's a carcass, there the vultures will gather. What? What that phrase means is, it'll be obvious where the, where the vultures gather, why do they gather someplace? Something's there, obviously. Amen? It's obvious. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. You know what? I noticed this about having six children. When the baby was born, I knew it. All right? There was a little crying person there. It was pretty obvious. We now have moved to the phase of a human being is outside the womb. It was obvious. So listen, this is the point that the Lord Jesus is making about his return. The return of Jesus will be obvious. And now our birthing analogy, if you've been following along with me, it's complete. So I'm going to leave that behind. As, as Luke ends his account over Luke chapter 21, he ends with this thought in verse 28. Listen to this scripture. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Look, he said, if you're seeing these things, if this is happening around you, it's right around the corner. Stand up, look, your redemption is drawing near. So overall, my hope and my, my prayer for the response to this message, because I got into this, and I tell you what, I dropped about seven, eight pages of notes, and you're probably all going, thank God, because this baby could go on for a couple hours, and I could get into a lot of detail. I really could. But that's not my point today. My point was this, that we'd take away this simple phrase, that we'd watch and long for the return of Jesus. That's what I want to happen in you, that you watch for and long for the return of Jesus. And I encourage you, study this stuff. If you want to study the end of the age, the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, study it. Read the whole thing. I only shared half of it with you this morning. There's a lot more. It talks about this whole thief in the night thing. You know, it talks about that, that in there. That's where that movie got its title from that I was talking about. It talks about one 
being there and one disappearing and all that kind of stuff. And then if you, if you go back and you read Daniel, Daniel chapter 9 is a good chapter to read too uh, on Daniel's vision. Now remember his vision is from, uh, it's a big vision from his time all the way to the end of the age, okay? And then if you want to study uh, some, something more precise about what's going to happen right around at, at the end of the age, go to Revelation. That'll make you nice and confused, but go ahead and study it. It's a good thing to study and good thing to ponder. God says if we read such scripture, we're blessed. So it's good to read that and study it. Um, understand this, most of the time we'll figure it out when it's done. It's hard to figure it out ahead of time. But we're to watch and be longing for the return of Jesus Christ. I watch for a couple things personally in my own life. This is me. I'm off, I'm off page now. So don't quote me on this. But I watch for a couple things personally. I'm watching for the temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And I'm watching for the priesthood to be reestablished. Because those seem to be players at the end of the age. All right? Because... The Antichrist stops the sacrificial system and, you know, sets himself up in the temple there as, as uh, one to be worshipped. Now, again, that's my opinion. I don't think I'm too far off, but I'm watching for those things, okay? So that's what I'm kind of keeping an eye out for. When, when is this kind of thing uh, going to transpire? But, but take this away with you. A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. And I think that's what Jesus was getting at. Be a prudent person. Understand the seasons. Understand the signs that he's given you. Therefore, be serious-minded about following God. Be serious-minded about spiritual matters in your families. Be seriously imparting to your children the things of Christ. Now is not the time to rest and take a break. That's what he's basically saying. Because his return is on the way. And this should be on our minds. It should be in our hearts. It should affect how we live. And that's getting to this whole topic matter of intentional worship. So I'm going to summarize for you in literally 30 seconds the whole intentional worship series. In this series, what we're trying to do is get preoccupied with God and who he is so that he's on our minds, in our hearts, and affects how we do our lifestyle. So we begin by looking at Psalm 145. Remember that? And we begin to look at these big attributes of God. He's great, he's compassionate, he's faithful, and he's righteous. These things should occupy our minds. They should infiltrate into our hearts. It should affect how we do life. And then we turn our, turn our look into God incarnate, God in person, Jesus Christ. And Pastor Aaron began that message saying, this is who Jesus is. And then I've taken it from there for three weeks. I've been talking about what I call the three R's you know, of, of Christianity, the three R's of understanding who Jesus is. Resurrection, redemption, and return, okay? Now, I even do better than they do in the academic world because their R's don't make any sense. Really? You know, the only one that has an R is reading. That's why we have, oh, you guys will get it in a minute. You know, arithmetic, and I'm just, that's a bad joke. I, my mom was a teacher, so... Anyway, I get these bad teacher jokes. But at any rate, my R's actually make sense. Resurrection, redemption, and return. Those three R's really zoom us in on who Jesus is and what he's about. Amen? Resurrection, redemption, and return. So I pray these things are on your mind, in your heart, and spills over into how you do your life. If that happens, we're becoming intentional worshipers. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for this day. I want to praise you for who you are and what you're doing. God, we love you and worship you in spirit and in truth today. In your name, Jesus, amen.